Hello, this is Old News. My name's David, and I'm Russell, and it's good to be back. It's always good to be back. S- slightly oddly, that feels funny, me saying that instead of you. All oh, right. Yeah, well, I guess we should uh, share the burden of pleasantries at the beginning. But, uh, should we start with our usual apologies for being late? Yeah. <laughs> we both had colds. Yeah, I was feeling terribly grotty. We were threatening to record on the Monday, and I was in bed all day just feeling the. I was on the way to getting better, but I wasn't. I, I would still have sounded like I was talking like this all the time. <laughs> yeah, oh dear. Un- underwater old news. We can always do that as a theme episode at some point. Well, you can do that as a theme episode. <laughs> what, does sit in the bath? <laughs> well, that's not underwater, that's just in water. Just, just makes it echoey and, and a bit splashy. Oh dear, yeah. So, any news? Uh, Any current news, I guess, not old news. News? You mean like personal news? Personal news? Not really. No, we haven't uh, abused any stepladders, though. Nope. No. no excellent. No DIY disasters. Good, good. No, because uh, I, I spent a week uh, in, in Scotland on a, on a training thing with work, which was terribly exciting. It really was. I was in the same hotel that uh, Theresa May was there for the, the Scottish Conservatives. So I resisted the urge to throw rotten vegetables. Yeah. And also, was this the same hotel as is attached to a hospital? Ah, no, that's, oh, the, that's a different hotel. That's the right. other Glaswegian hotel. I was, that... I was thinking, surely the NHS, like specialist NHS hotel, <laughs> wouldn't. Wouldn't in, wouldn't want Theresa May there. In, well, in case the uh, the listeners are utterly baffled, <laughs> except for our Scottish listeners, there is a, a hotel in Glasgow called the Beardmore Hotel, which was built originally as a private hospital with a hotel attached for people to stay at if their loved ones were in the hospital. Is it the Beardmore? Beard more, beard as in, as in hair more beard. on chin. Yeah. Right. This private hotel was bought and was uh, bought by the Scottish executive, and so it's now an NHS hospital, and they use the conference facilities for NHS things. But now it also has a nationalised hotel attached to it, which is just the most peculiar thing. The fact that we would have a nationalised hotel—it's just very, it's, very strange. It's very 1950s. It is, isn't that it? Idea, yes. Yeah. The National Hotel. Yeah. Uh, in tourist. <laughs> <laughs> With special national towels that are just a bit too rough and a bit too not bendy. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I suppose, given time, everything will be painted that kind of institutional colours of mm. artificial limb pink like, and nicotine uh, yellow, etc. Mm. Yeah. It's old news. So... Should we move on to updates? Yes, we're going to revisit some old episodes. Yeah. So anybody who remembers back to episode one, where we talked about North Korea and the bomb. So we've obviously had the the news story of Kim Jong-nam, who is Kim Jong-un's half-brother. So it's the same father, isn't it? The the Mm. father is Kim Jong-il to different mothers, isn't it? Uh, And he he got poisoned publicly in an airport in Malaysia didn't they but yeah it is a a very strange thing because King Jong-nam was the presumed successor because he was the eldest was he uh, he he was definitely older than Kim Jong-un he was older and also the the son of the preferred mother at the Mm. time but there was obviously he was the one who was then arrested of travelling on a false passport in Japan because he wanted to visit Disneyland (laughs) which is fair Surely all communist dictators want to visit Disneyland. It's the happiest place on Earth. It is the happiest place on Earth, except for North Korea, of course. 
But well, what is what is very strange about this is that there's then been this sort of follow-up, hasn't there? The uh, the Malaysians have asked the North Korean diplomat to leave. And I don't know whether they have, but they had 48 hours to leave yesterday, I think it was. And it's because the, the North Koreans have said he wasn't murdered or whatever. And then said, well, he, was, he, he wasn't Kim Jong-nam, this body you've got, but we must have this body back. <laughs> and then said, oh, well, obviously the, the, the Malaysians have done an autopsy. They said it was the nerve, the nerve agent. And then the North Korean diplomat has said, oh, we don't accept the results. Well, why do the results matter if it's... Uh, is not Kim Jong Nam. Yeah, <laughs> it's this utterly it's just co- some random person, utterly cognitively dissonant, screaming at the top of their voices. But guess what? It's North Korea. It's what they always do. And of course, just recently they did they uh, they launched another missile as well. Yes, I just saw that in the news today. Yeah, yeah, which just sort of annoys the hell out of everybody. And then of course, Woolly Mammoths. Yes, made a return. Well, <laughs> they haven't actually made a return. But aren't they talking? This was the, this still says something about this this cycle. We said every fifteen years is this new story that comes back. Mm. But this time they talk about it. Was it like a a mix of elephant and mammoth DNA? It wouldn't mm. be. It wouldn't be a true mammoth. I, I I generally have a problem with that. Yeah. What's the point? A elephant. I mean, a woolly elephant. Well, would well, woolly elephants a thing anyway? But mm. yeah, it's just I don't get it because you can and likely mm. produce an animal which. I don't could possibly have all kinds of problems with it, yeah. or you know, a perfectly healthy animal that's really lonely. Yeah, you know, I can imagine an elephant being quite just sort of justified if that's the right right word if it gave birth to something that's so different. You know, you may may not get like the mother child bond. You know, it may not nurse, and I don't know. It's just ah, strange. And uh, then, oh sorry, yeah, go on, no, yeah, go on, go on. So the 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 other thing was uh, Kosovo. No, the Kos- the Kosovo train from Serbia to Kosovo, first one, stopped, I think, just before the border because for some bizarre reason, having gone through all the negotiations and all the planning to do the first train from one place to the other, the Serbians decided it would be a good move to paint the thing in pro-Serbian propaganda. Yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, it's managed. I think that just sort of really reflects in microcosm the point we made in the episode that people, the, the powers that be in Serbia have to face both ways. So they're trying to do deals and they're trying to be exert some influence and be normal, having some sort of normal relations with Kosovo, trying to legitimize their sort of claim, I suppose. But at the same time, they have to kind of placate their ultranationalist wing, which is incredibly powerful. You get ridiculous like this. We'll send a train that can't go over the border because it's offensive. Oh, news. In our continuing project to be banned in as many countries as possible. <laughs> yes, we're going to uh, offend who? Well, the, the Chinese, Chinese I guess. again. Yeah. Haven't we already offended the Chinese to be banned, banned there? I assume so. We said yeah, that. I think you said something nasty about the Chinese at some point. Yeah, we said something nice. Did I say something dangerous about Tibet? I think we, we <laughs> said we, we said something nice about the Chinese in the Korean episode. We felt sorry for them in the Korean episode, uh-huh. uh, and now we're, well, I imagine there will be a certain amount of criticism in China's direction. I don't know. I'm trying to be balanced. So this episode I've entitled Hong Kong: The Return. <laughs> Which very much sounds like a sequel, so can, can you remember what the first episode was on Hong Kong? <laughs> Surely it was about Godzilla. Go on, find that. <laughs> no, no, Godzilla's Japanese. Japanese, yeah. 
Hong Kong. Well, presumably, where where did King Kong come from? Skull Island or something like that. Right. So, I don't know where the story's from. I don't know if it's originally Japanese. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. It yeah, does it kind of. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's would just be racist because it has Kong. Yes. I don't know. Uh, that's something to look at. Perhaps the listeners can uh, inform us. So, uh, so we are talking about the return of Hong Kong. Well, that's what we all know note as internationally. The Chinese see it as a sort of a, a taking over, or kind of you know, a returning in terms of re-establishing their own sovereignty on something that was kind of rightfully theirs. Whereas we all see it as a legitimate hand back of something that was rightfully the UK's. I think really, I, th- mm. I think we all pretty much know it was a case of you know we turned up with a flag. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was... yeah for, for sure, in weird circumstances, which we'll yeah. just get on to the, the minute. There's a whole historical thing. It's really interesting if you want to go down that route. So the 1st of July, 1997, GFK tests, where were you? <laughs> Not a clue. Yeah, I can remember uh, I was I was a trainee at the time, trainee engineer, and I was on board my first ship, and uh, I was watching the news at midnight on, on, on the satellite news. Everybody sort of assumed that the thing would pass over peacefully, but there was a certain amount of tension. And I remember people were very surprised to see that the Chinese had amassed lots and lots of trucks with soldiers in the standing in the back in ranks. And there were, there, was, there was hundreds of them waiting at the borders with the engines revving. And uh, the moment the dot of midnight, the, uh, the Chinese army came in, uh, it was just a show. It was a show of strength. Right. No, interesting is a friend of mine at the time worked for the Royal Fleet Auxiliary, which is the civilian bit of the Admiralty. You no, know, they're the ships that supply the RN with stuff. The, I remember him telling the tale that at the international maritime boundary between China and Hong Kong, which everybody forgets that that boundary existed, they were going up and down the boundary, and the, the Chinese Navy they were at the other side of the boundary, and there was an awful lot of like getting close to each other as they can and going up and down the border and like looking angry with each other Grr. right yeah but again it was just and a from a from a royal fleet auxiliary ship well and the rest of the air uh, the, oh, the right. mid, so they they i think they were paired off and generally just sort of it was all very silly really okay. it's all very silly and again the dot at midnight they just turned right or to starboard or whatever and they uh, got out of dodge and the chinese came into the territorial waters that as usual the thing that's happening at sea is kind of ignored and unknown and forgotten but exactly the same thing was happening at sea as it was happening on the land so i thought i'd set the scene as a little bit of context i was trying to think like what what did at the time in 1997 what did i think of china what was my impression of china so i mean what was your sort of take on uh, I'd have said I'd have been thinking of china as communist bogeyman yeah quite belligerent really. Yeah, quite belligerent, yeah. quite mysterious. Yeah, I, I think the thing that was still fresh in a lot, a lot of people's minds was uh, Tiananmen Square. Yes, yeah, yeah. And now we're banned. That's <laughs> it. I said the magic words, right? We, I mean, we shouldn't laugh. X many thousand people killed and imprisoned because of Tiananmen Square. I think that was fresh in a lot of people's minds. And I, is like obviously quite a young kid, nine years old, I had watched what had happened in Europe in 1989 and then obviously what had happened in Russia in 1991 but then no, I could still remember the one thing that did collapse and it didn't go the way we all wanted of course was the mm. uprising in, in, in 89. So why did, did we hand Hong Kong back? So uh, I thought 
because some people might, might want to understand the event and why the event sort of unfolded the way it did. So Hong Kong consists of three parts, like governed by the British. So you've got Hong Kong Island and Kowloon, and they were given to us under the Treaty of Nanking in 1842 and the Treaty of Beijing in 1860, which obviously is also in the background uh, of the Opium Wars. So Where we wanted the right to sell opium to Chinese people. <laughs> because that's good how things change right this is kind of one of the 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 things that forms the background to the uh the chinese claim that those treaties were entered into when china's in a very weak position they're not really very uh legitimate treaties they would say the third part was the uh the new territories which was under the convention for the extension of the hong kong territory 1898 which uh, presumably you know we've just done a deal give them a bit of cash and that was a 99 year lease and so this is why when the end comes it's because you've got these three territories which have all been incorporated and it's become impossible to split them it's just become one big city state that operates as one thing and the chinese are saying well come on you know it's our turn to get this bit back and if we're getting this bit back, we're going to want help, want it all because, mm-hmm. you know, we were fighting the opium wars at the time. Britain doesn't really have much of a leg to stand on. Uh, one of the first people who was sent as a, an emissary is Ted Heath in 1980. But before before that, we've got this bit in, in 1972. So the, the Chinese take their seat in the UN in 71. So in 72, in March, the UN decide that they want uh, Hong Kong and Macau to be taken off the list of colonies. Because they've said they're not colonies, they're not colonial countries. Because if they're colonial countries, the UN would support them into independence. China says, no, 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 these are occupied territories that are administered by by another power. So it's interesting that are they a col- colony, are they not? I, I I think the presumption on the British side that... Whether they were co- a colony. Yeah. I can kind of see the point, though. I mean, what's the difference between something you colonise by taking it off other people? and an occupied territory that you've occupied by taking it off other people. The only difference really is time. Yeah, exactly. So you got this sort of weird thing whereby the, the Chinese are sort of, they go they go along for a while. The reason why they don't sort of invade straight away is because presumably they're distracted by other things. They kind of have, have, have this position of they recognise the administration, although they don't recognise the sovereignty. So there's all kinds of talks that go on. They start in the very late 70s into the 80s and there's a whole sort of period from sort of 1980 up to 1987 there's sort of meetings between thatcher and uh the chinese fella who's the chinese fella deng xiaoping see the one who looks a bit like a frog yes smokes a lot Mm. and had the embarrassing accent is he from uh sichuan all right and he has a very strong sichuan accent which i i'm led to believe sichuan accents in china are considered like brum, brummy accents are in the UK. All right. <laughs> it's not funny that the number of uh, dictators that have uh, mm. regional accents didn't... Uh, Stalin had a Georgian accent. Yes, yeah. that's right. So he was seen as like a yokel farmer because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. he was Georgian. Yeah, so there's, all, there's this sort of ding-dong. And Britain tries to play hardball at first. You know, like, we want to keep it. You know, we want to maintain the status quo. And China goes, nah, and says, we could invade tomorrow, which they could. And Thatcher rightfully replies, well, you can be my guest, but we'll all know, know that world opinion will turn against you. You know, you, you'll be uh, worse off doing that. So they have this sort of, sort of semi-spat, and then she goes to visit Hong Kong. Interestingly, the first British Prime Minister to set foot in the place. 
Thatcher goes to Hong Kong with this, this fantastic quote she says out in public. And I think this is just sort of international relations in one quote. There are three treaties in existence. We stick by our treaties unless we decide on something else. <laughs> At the moment, we stick by our treaties. <laughs> <laughs> Really? (laughs) (laughs) And it just just says everything about international relations that, oh yeah, we've got lots of bits of paper that we all agree to abide by until such time that we decide not to abide by them. (laughs) I just thought that was just very, very, very bizarre. So one of the things that's happening in the background of this is that the the Chinese, they amend their, uh, their constitution, I think in 85, and they set up this idea that they may in fact set up parts of China as special administrative regions, which is the birth of the idea of one nation, two, two systems. Mm-hmm. And then that, that becomes the foundation. So you have the, uh, the joint declaration in the 87 between China and the UK. This is going to be the future. The handover will be on the 1st of July, 1997. So the last, uh, the last governor is who? Patton. Chris Patton. Chris Patton. Chris Patton. So ex Tory MP, quite a nice bloke for Tory. Yeah. <laughs> be a bit divisive, but uh, yeah, and he's he's a politician rather than a diplomat, and he goes about doing like democratic reforms. So there's this whole period from eighty seven to ninety nine where suddenly British governance of Hong Kong becomes really political because whatever we leave behind is what the Chinese are then going to inherit, and so we try to institute democracy. Because in like the whole hundred years we've had, yeah, yeah, not a thing. Yeah, not a thing. You know, you damn colonials, you just do as we say. Then suddenly we're all really interested in. Oh, hold on, are you, are you throwing tea into the water? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, damn it, pay your taxes, colonial. <laughs> uh, imagine if there'd been like a China Tea Party. Like that, you'd be able to walk from China to the US <laughs> on the enormous pile of tea, wouldn't you? <laughs> the sea would just be thick brown. <laughs> oh, we've no tea. How about this opium? Uh, yeah, so you've got this democracy, which would like very limited democracy, sort of a consultative council that, that they introduce. And it just upsets the Chinese. Ah, because what this council does is like starts to make pronouncements that just upset the Chinese. Like, we would like to be included in this process. We would like to be consulted in this process, and it just it just creates all kinds of hoo hoo ha. Because now the the Chinese abolish that when they come in and they in, introduce like a limited legislative council. Yeah, China reserves the right to appoint. Yes. ahead of it and they they also reserve the right to sort of reject candidates which so, they're doing a lot of at the minute at the minute yeah so have you heard about the umbrella movement mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. sort of anybody who has has been in contact with an umbrella <laughs> <laughs> and is also on the council is now getting unselected deselected yeah, yeah, whatever right. the right word is because you had these people who were elected and they it's weird that they had a banner that said hong kong is not china when they were being sworn in and to, to their seats on the council, and that that's interesting because that that again sort of points at this that the elephant of the room is the one China thing. There is only one China that we've all agreed on since since the seventies, isn't it? We said there's only one one China, and there's obviously people in Taiwan have said, well, no, I'd like independence. I'm Chinese, but I'd like independence. And there's obviously people in Hong Kong now saying the same. And 
the smaller voices in Macau. And then this is the thing where they, they were swearing in these legislative members just recently and they used a form of words that was offensive. Mm-hmm. And I always find this a str- it's a thing that can only really exist in those type of languages, isn't it? Where she said the words of the oath, but pronounced them in such a way that they could be interpreted as something else. You know what I find strange about doing that? If you're being sworn in to a legislative council of some description and you want to be in there so you can get your voice heard, why would you do something like that? That just gives the overriding power an excuse to get rid of you. Well, I, I find it it's I find it like an ambiguous act. It's gesture politics to me. Well, I can see like in you could absent yourself. You could go in there and just go, No, I refuse to take this oath, you get thrown out the door, you become a martyr to the cause. And uh you you maybe become cause celeb, you know, you're kind of that Hmm. Because I mean, you could see uh, Sinn Fein do the same, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. But they, they just run, they don't take the oath. Yeah, they don't well, take their seats. That's what what, what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but, I don't understand why don't they just do the Sinn Fein thing and go? No, I'm standing at the door, yeah. but I'm not com- coming in. Do one or the other. Not this ambiguous. Yeah. Well, I suppose then you end up with a long, drawn-out fight where they then get the chance to take the oath again, and it's just more publicity. Maybe that's the way the way mm. to do it. You just keep you keep drip feeding. You don't push too hard. You just keep push, push, push. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that in those positions, but my instinct is to support people in in favour of democracy. I would want them in there fighting for democracy rather than outside, not. Yeah, I, I think the way the politics in, in those sort of countries, it's better to push gently from the inside yeah. than it is to shout from, from the out, the outside on the whole. You'll get a lot further with the Chinese government. Yeah, I, I suppose... Doing that. I suppose one of the problems is is the movement, the umbrella movement, it's quite young. Mm-hmm. It's lots of students and things. And you remember it's got a lot of hotheads on the outside mm-hmm. shouting results now, demands now. I want to hear things said by my leaders that are... Hot-headed youth. Yeah, yeah. These people are very brave. I mm, think, yeah. Even though we criticise them, I still mm. think they're very brave to run on Hong Kong independence tickets in Hong yeah. Kong, you know, and facing the might of the Chinese state. Oh, news! The next point I've got is is parallels with, and I've used a lot of that mathematical symbol for parallel. You know, it looks like double L. Yeah, it looks like I that. had totally forgotten about that. Yeah. Where did I learn that? Was that in history at school? I imagine I, I learned it in mathematics. Yeah. Ah, yeah, there's a symbol I had totally forgotten about. X is parallel with Y. So the first one is uh, parallels with Macau, because Macau's under the rule of uh, Portugal. Mm-hmm. But the big difference with Portugal is because in 1972, when the, the Chinese are, are demanding changes, Portugal is still under fascism. Yeah. So easy to forget that fascism still exists in Europe until the mid seventies. Yeah. In fact, when where did Franco go? Was that late seventies? Seventy seven, seventy eight. Some we'll have to look to, to look up that. Portugal doesn't change till seventy four. So oh, how comes keep, the, keep, the keep talking the mighty keep power talking. of the in, the internet? The but Google's. I thought it was really interesting because they, they don't hand over Macau until 1999. No sooner do they become democracy and become the Republic of Portugal, there's a certain amount of 
the session is far too bad diplomatically. Hong Kong's more important, I think, e- economically, because it's for a long time it's been the gateway to mainland China. Hong, uh, Macau's more a, a big gambling den. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. The, the Chinese just agree to, to go the same route. And it's it, it gets it just got a lot a lot less press because it's a lot a lot less important. But it's interesting how we had all this huge amount of problems. You know, are we going to grant citizenship to Hong Kong people? We eventually granted them British national overseas status with overseas in brackets. Is that weird category? Yeah, but I, I think the the Portuguese attitude was very much just this is straight decolonization. We don't want an empire anymore. Go. Right. To me, it seems a lot more honest and a lot more direct. And mm. I don't understand why we had such ructions over it. I always wonder how how many of the, the people in Hong Kong that feared the future, were they loyal to the British or were they just fearful of communism? I'd probably say fearful of communism. I wonder if it's all part of that sort of mythos around the British Empire of us going out and civilising the world. Yeah. You know, or they, they must want to remain British because we're so... You know, we're so British look, and wonderful. And look at look at the benefits we've brought to you. You have this lovely, shining city. Yeah. Whereas the other European countries, on the whole, just used them. Yeah. Just used their colonies. So when they lost them, they just, well, okay, see ya. Did you know that there was a very small bit of Hong Kong that was actually like little Taiwan? Right. Right, so when the, uh, the Comintern are defeated by the... Uh, the Comintang, sorry, yeah. are defeated by the uh, the communists. There's a small amount of people that escape over the border into Hong Kong, and there's a very small corner of Hong Kong. It flies the uh, the nationalist flag, right? And and although it's actually like normally under British administration, apparently the police it was like a no go area for the Hong Kong police. Right. And the British administration more or less had no no effect there. They had their own school system and whatever, and then. Prior to ninety seven handover, we the British cleared out to please the Chinese, right? <laughs> and obviously upset Taiwan. Where did those people go? Presumably back back to ta- Taiwan. Well, not really back to Taiwan. Well, They'd never been been to Taiwan. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that's just very very weird. That we're trying to democratize and bring democracy yeah. to Chinese peoples, and yet a call of it that actually is sort of semi democratic is the bit we clear out. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the next parallels with parallels with Gibraltar. Just before you move oh, on, go on. Nineteen seventy five, death oh, of Franco. Right. Death of Franco, so it's a year after the revolution in Portugal. Portugal. Yeah, and famously, what started? What was the signal for the start of the Portuguese revolution? Was that the flowers? Something to do with flowers? It was the Portuguese entry to the Eurovision Song Contest that year. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, when that when that started the broadcast, that was the signal. Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Yay! Let's upset the Spanish. Should we upset the Spanish? <laughs> Are you in favour of Gibraltar? Yeah. There's all these impossible things, isn't it? Like, do you think we should keep Gibraltar? Well, Gibraltar's kind of weird, but the people want to be the way they are. So much as it upsets the Spanish, and I kind of have some sympathy for Spanish claims and sovereignty. Nah. (laughs) Keep out, mate. Um... But one of the things I thought was really interesting was that there was the three-legged stool thing we heard earlier, right? Every time Hong Kong said, we wish to be represented in these talks as a third party, Deng Xiaoping went, no three-legged stools, 
go away. I don't know why he's so against three-legged stools. Like, well, they're unstable. No, they're naturally stable. That's exactly. No, the but point. but a four-legged stool is more stable. Only have a perfectly le- level floor. This is why office chairs have five, <laughs> five legs. Five legs. Actually, this is a mathematical proof that if you have, no matter how uneven the floor, if you rotate a four-legged chair, it'll always find a level where it's stable. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. And then, of course, the big one, which is, it's tempting to make parallels, but I, I, I don't know how far it runs. It might be worth dis- discussing it. Are the parallel with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So Taiwan is obviously undisputably part of China, and then isn't after the you know the end of the civil war. It's unclear as to whether what. Taiwan status is, and then ev- everybody agrees to re- recognise Taiwan Republic. Right, sorry. Taiwan has this special state status in, in international relations, and more and more nations have moved to recognise People's Republic and de-recognise uh, the, the Republic of. It took a long time, but now the voice in Taiwan for independence as just Taiwan is quite, quite strong. And they have won elections and, and held power for short, short pe- periods. But we can't really, we can't help them. Yeah. We're just vested in the star- status quo. I think it also hamstrings us in, uh, in terms of Tibet as well. Uh, Tibet is kind of forgotten in this and that they are simply just occupied. One of the things that Taiwan shows us is democracy really works in Chinese societies. And I think really that's what the People's Republic are frightened of here, like throughout this story. Yeah. But it turns out that Chinese and Confucian-based societies will embrace democracy. Uh, and we've seen it. I mean, I've got a list here. Taiwan, very slowly, you know, obviously it was like, like a terrible military dictatorship for a long, long time. But democracy has emerged. South Korea. Yeah, similar. J- yeah, similar. Japan is slightly out there yeah. related. Malaysia. Malaysia's uh, uh, Indonesia. Although, obviously, Islam is more influential in those countries successful democracies yeah Indonesia is the fourth largest democracy in the world and then obviously and then that leads to like parallels with Singapore Singaporese democracy is a bit mm, they have this one almighty powerful party that runs everything but there is opposition and it's growing slowly they're on that path to at some point in the next decade or two you know opposition will gradually take power probably for a short short period and then they'll default back to more consensus politics Singapore I think is I think where Hong Kong would like to be, I think that's where the independence movements in in Hong Kong are looking at, aren't they? Go well, they're Chinese, or predominantly. We can do the same. Yeah, we can do the same. Old news. So the the last bit in Hong Kong, which I thought was interesting, is because the the one country, two systems arrangement only lasts for 50 years. That's the agreement between us and China. Mm -hmm. They have now what is called the 2047 problem, which is obviously 20 years... Uh, 50 years after 1997 uh, the longest mortgage you can transact in uh, Hong Kong is 30 years so this year to 2017 is now kind of the last time you can enact a mortgage for its maximum term so the question is in 2047 what's the status going to be what are China's options here what I mean if you were the Chinese government what what would you do the choices are just let it go on and just say there will be no change mm-hmm. Which, to me, I imagine is kind of what they would probably do. Yeah. Or they say, no more, you're kind of phasing into our way. Because one assumes they don't have mortgages in the same kind of way in mainland China. Yeah. Um, well, Does I- the state own... <laughs> everything <laughs> well I was just looking at, at, at a, a little bit of this and obviously Hong Kong's not as important as it used to be but Hong Kong was the gateway into China uh, for business and that's why Hong Kong was so rich 
Uh, but of course, now that China has opened up somewhat, then places like Shanghai are just far more important. Mm-hmm. They're bigger, badder. A lot of businesses are based there now and only have like branch offices in Hong Kong. Maybe it's not so much of an issue economically. As I just think about this, uh, one thing the Chinese could do is incorporate into the mainland China would make it a special economic zone because the, you know, the economically developed parts of China are economic zones within mainland China. Mm. The bits that aren't so developed and are still under the old socialist system are still the poorer parts. You know, So I suppose that's one way you could go, but obviously you risk mass disorder in Hong, Hong Kong, I suppose, and a big clamour for people to get out. Yeah. If you, you see, if you continue the status quo, the problem then is is that you've got demands inside China saying, why are these people being treated differently? And, and well, that comes in two forms. You've got Chinese ultra-nationalists, I suppose, that support communist government or whatever. The <laughs> modern Chinese nationalists sort of going, why are we spoiling Hong Kong? Why are we spoiling Macau? Yeah. Uh, and treating them like this uh, in special ways. You know, they should be, they should come under our system of course you've got the internal pressure of people wanting democracy in china and saying well if they've got got it why can't we have it i don't think the status quo will probably be very tempting and be the kind of option i imagine the chinese would prefer no change but then again you know they if they if they opt for the status quo they're creating more problems at home old news so that was the return of hong kong next week hong kong rises again <laughs> the wife of hong kong <laughs> Hong Kong meets Godzilla. <laughs> and Godzuki. You don't remember Godzuki, do you? Uh, no, I don't. It was from the Godzilla cartoon. It was Godzilla and Godzuki. There was a Godzilla cartoon? Yeah, there was a Godzilla cartoon. No. <laughs> yeah. On British TV? Yeah, well, I imagine it was probably one of those Americanized Japanese cartoons. Right. A bit like Battle of the Planets. Okay, yeah. All I can remember about it was that Godzilla was dark green and Godzuki, who was Godzilla's son, I think, <laughs> was a lighter green and smaller and cuter and got up to hijinks. <laughs> so did he just smash small towns instead of whole cities? <laughs> uh, that's very strange. No, uh, this episode is going to lend itself to sound effects, I think. They're not going to be gonna... racist sound effects. No! Are they? I'm going to find, like, the God- Godzilla theme tune and stuff like that. Oh, right. Even though that's Japanese. Oh, well, yeah, but we've talked about Godzilla. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not gonna put that theme tune at the, the beginning of the episode <laughs> or something. <laughs> Up from the depths, 30 stories high. Well, can we also then have the uh, the the theme tune to Hong Kong Fui? <laughs> oh God! Which probably yeah. is really racist. It's, probably... it's amazing how these things they were like considered utterly harmless when we, we were kids. When we go back and look at them now, you go, "Oh mm. no, <laughs> that's problematic." <laughs> Out news! It seems we're engaged in advert tennis. <laughs> For the last Tuesday project, and it's, it's so far. I think it's thirty love, really, yeah, possibly thirty fifteen. It is, and we've been made out to be well the amateurs. 
Well, I don't know. I, I was just going to say the like in the latest advert from those chaps, we've been made out to be. Uh, I was going to say so, so cool. Well, I was going to say BBC Radio. I, I, was just, I was just going to say cool and hip hop, but <laughs> then again, they use Tim Westwood. Yeah, so, so not at all cool. Well, debatably cool. No, <laughs> debatably. <laughs> Wasn't his father the the Bishop of Bath and Wells? Something like that. Yes. Or so, something. Yeah, yeah. He's from like some uber respectable white middle class background. Yeah. <laughs> So this is, we should really have start start started the episode, you know, with something with cooler, you know, mm-hmm. brap brap, etc. That's, that's that's more drum and bass crowd, isn't it? Saying that you look clueless. This, this all goes over my head. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we go? What how are we going to advertise? I don't know. We are gonna we're gonna deploy the Pete. Deploy the Pete. I was gonna say release the Kitson. <laughs> release the Kitson. <laughs> That, should, that would be a horrendous sight. We 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 shall see. He'll, he'll, ha, he'll have his reindeer his reindeer slippers on and all sorts, <laughs> made of actual reindeer. Oh wow! Yeah, they're not they're not the fluffy not the fluffy ones with silly horns and red noses. Uh-huh. Actual reindeer slippers. All right. Well, I I have no reason to be outraged about this, given that I've eaten reindeer. <gasps> I have had reindeer sausage. I've eaten sausages made out of reindeer meat. Maybe I should rephrase <laughs> that. It, it was tasty. Mm, I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was like a, in a my, strong beef flavour. In in my furthering adventures to try and uh, burgerize all of the animals of the world, I'd quite like a reindeer burger at some point. Yeah, it'd be nice. There's a there's a, an ongoing joke between a friend of mine and myself where whenever somebody mentions an this is an enchidna, is one of the mammals that lays eggs. All right, similar to you know the the platypus, yeah. Um, I don't know how this came about. Oh, that's right. There was a. Oh no, we're going to talk about an enchidna omelet. Well, we were because the. <laughs> There was a there was some sort of meme where there was an enchidna in a in a like a little glass or something a very cute photograph, and I said about well can can I eat an enchidna and apparently not, and uh, I keep calling him a fascist because he keeps banning me from eating enchidnas. <laughs> As if you does he have like a, a, a tank of enchidnas? <laughs> Are you there with a, an enchidna net trying to catch them? <laughs> So yes, every time an enchidna appears in in the ether, like on Facebook <laughs> or whatever, and I say, and ah, a tasty enchidna appears. Yeah, suddenly a wild enchidna appears. Um, yeah, like my 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 friends there on the internet going, oh, cute enchidna, and I'm going, oh, I bet they're very t- tasty. And he tells me I'm not allowed to eat them. I may not eat them. It's very unfair. Oh, news. You can find us, of course, at our website, uh, where we're hosted at oldnews.podbean.com. You can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com. And Facebook us, just find us at oldnewspodcast. Or tweet us at oldnewspod. And, of course, we'd like to thank bensound.com for their royalty-free music under Creative Commons. And, of course, Peter Kidson for the use of his voice. You can also find us on YouTube, which I keep forgetting to write down. Again, just look for old news podcast, something like that. We're quite difficult to find. We're quite low down in the rankings. Yeah, we're a so long far. way down the rankings. But if you care to listen, you know, if you want to listen multiple times, we'll yes. climb those ranks. And like and share and comment and 
yeah. and all the other things. Feedback is is always welcome, yeah. and uh, ideas for and ideas. Yes, yeah. ideas for other other subjects would be great. We do have a bit of a list. We keep looking at it and going, I don't fancy that one yet. <laughs> yeah, iTunes iTunes reviews would be good. Five stars on iTunes would be lovely. I want to say good night, but you're probably not listening to this at night, so goodbye. Goodbye. Who is this superhero? Sarge? No. Rosemary, the telephone operator? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? Could be! Mm-hmm.